Ruth chapter 4. What I noted before was with you that there is a, uh, there's an emphasis on community in chapter 4. That's what I was talking about. The, the neighbors, they, they served in three ways. I'll just remind you of that message, and I'm going to emphasize one of those tonight, make a whole message out of one of those. And, uh, and really, honestly, I'm going to preach more out of the book of Genesis than I think out of the book of Ruth. But don't turn to the book of Genesis just yet, all right? Uh, first of all, if you remember, I said uh, nosy neighbors are good because uh, they provide some peer pressure in your life. And the community serves as pressure. They're supposed to pressure this nearer kinsman into doing his job, fulfilling his responsibility. Now, we know that all this worked out according to God's will and, and Boaz was able to perform the redemption of Ruth and all that. And, uh, but the elders were there at the gate and the witnesses in the city. <clears throat> you can read that word witnesses several times in the fourth chapter. And they were all there to serve as prayer, as a, as a, as a peer pressure, and then to serve as prayer partners. In verse eleven and twelve, they are praying a prayer for the new couple, and then they serve as praise promoters. You remember, they all come over to the house. This is where I got the nosy neighbors from. At the end of the chapter, all the neighbors are over in the house, and what are they? They're naming the baby. Is what they're doing. Now, me and Heather, we've been talking a lot about baby names here recently. And uh, my little niece, how old is uh, how old is Lily? I can't remember. She's six, okay. My little niece, uh, Courtney's kid. This, you know, that explains a lot, but she's Courtney's kid. She, we were talking about, we were with family, visiting some family last week, and she had a name. She, wanted, she thought a good name would be a Twinkle for the baby. Uh, twinkle Star. And uh, so I told her, I said, well, you know, we... You know, we might use uh, some of those same letters. You never know. Amen. We might just never know. Amen. But that's kind of an intimate thing. You know, that's a personal thing. But here comes these neighbors, and they're over and they name the baby. They started telling Naomi how blessed she is and how good God's been in her life. Man, God's been good to you, Naomi. And that's why we need people. Listen, we need each other, don't we? We need each other. We, we, we can't make it on our own. We, 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 we need each other. We need the peer pressure. Peer pressure is a good thing. It depends on who's your peers and what they're pressuring you to do. We need accountability is what that is. And church provides that. We need the prayer partners, don't we? Man, I, I hope you're praying for me. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. I promise you I am every week of the world. I, I call out your name at least once, but multiple, most of the time, multiple times during the week. Carry your burdens and try to try to shoulder the load with you as much as I can. And we need that. We need that. And we need them praise promoters. How many of you know what it's like to just kind of be able to just, you know, get those blessing blinders on? All you can see is just the negative. Sometimes it takes other people looking into your life and saying, hey, I don't know if you know it or not, but God's been good to you. I mean, look at how good God's been to you. Look at that baby. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. And that's what the community served in their life. I'm interested in them being prayer partners. And there's a prayer that they pray. It's in verse 11 and 12. And so I'm just going to read these two verses in Ruth chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And this records, the, this is a record of the prayer that is prayed over this family. And let's read it together. Verse number 11. And all the people that were in the gate... And the elders said, we are witnesses. Now here's their prayer. You ready? The Lord make the woman 
that is, come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem, and let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. And this prayer is really a prayer that's directed at Boaz. I want you to see that, that they are praying for Boaz. They pray for the woman that is coming to his house. That's Ruth. And then they pray for him specifically. And then they pray for his house. Verse 12, and let thy house be like the house of uh, of Pharez. And I want you to notice, they say in verse number 11 that they are witnesses, but then they began to pray. And I, I think it's a very interesting thing that they weren't just witnesses to what was going on in their life. They weren't just saying, the community wasn't just saying to, 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 to Boaz, we're watching you, we, we, we see what's going on, but they also said, we're praying for you as well. And I want to tell you something, and I thank God for people that aren't just watching me, but they're praying for me. Amen. I'm glad. I'm thankful people ain't got me just on their gossip list, but they got me on their prayer list. Amen. And I'm thankful for people who won't just watch you uh, and, and talk about you. They won't just be witnesses and always inspecting and looking at your life, but they're actually praying for you. They're rooting for you. They want God to bless you, and they want God to do something with your life, and hey, they they want the best for you, man. Listen, you can't put a price tag on those kind of people. People won't just watch you, but people that'll pray for you. This prayer, just by way of introduction, I want to get to the, the, the main thought, but I'm just going to hit this real quick. This prayer, first of all, I see it was a prayer for growth. You see, they said, first of all, let the, the Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. They were praying that God would bless. Now, they didn't say, they didn't mention Sarah and they didn't mention Rebecca, but they mentioned Rachel and Leah. Now, a little bit, you got to know some history here. Of course, Rachel and Leah were the, wife of ja- were the wives of Jacob. What's amazing, they didn't mention Sarah. Sarah only had one child. She, was, she only had one. Of course, that was an amazing thing. I'm not downplaying that at all. But they weren't praying that her house would be like the house of Sarah. She only had one. They weren't praying like her house would be like the house of Rebecca. Rebecca had two. She had twins, remember? Uh, Esau and Jacob. But only one of them was inside of the covenant. One of them was outside. One of them was rejected by God, right? Esau. Only one. They weren't praying that she'd be like Rebecca. Said, "No, we we want you to have more than one, and we want all your children to be inside the covenant." Said, "We want you to be like Rachel and like Leah, which two did build the house of Israel." God used Rachel and Leah to. They had the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve boys, and then from them the twelve tribes of Israel. It all sprung from Rachel and from Leah, and God blessed them and used them to build the house of Israel. And they were praying for growth. God bless you with growth. Listen, there's nothing wrong with growth. There's nothing wrong with praying that God would bless you with growth financially. Hey, if, listen, if you're using your money in the right way, I'm praying God blesses you financially. Amen. I, hope, I wish every one of you become millionaires and tithe. Amen. That would be tremendous. Amen. Praying that God bless you. Amen. I, I pray God, listen, I pray God grows your family. Amen. Just quit praying that for me. I'm tired. Listen, y'all. I don't know who's been doing it. I'm about to bop you on the head is what I'm going to do. Some of y'all say, some of y'all say, hey, I'm praying y'all have twins and all that. Listen, I remember who y'all were that said that. I remember, we're only having one, but I remember who y'all were. Listen, I don't know why y'all hate me so bad. All right. Praying for growth. Praying for growth. There ain't nothing wrong with God. I pray God grows your family as, you, as, you, as He sees fit and God, God blesses your finances. There ain't nothing wrong with praying. You know, Jabez prayed what? God bless me indeed. Bless me. Enlarge my coast. 
long as you'll use all that for His glory, there's nothing wrong with praying for that. God bless this family. It was a prayer for godliness as well, not just growth. But then they're praying for Boaz, and they say, and do thou worthily in Ephrata. That's Bethlehem. That word worthily just simply means this. My glasses are all messed up. I'm going to clean them off while I'm preaching here. But uh, Worthily. That just simply means deservedly. It means according to merit. What they're doing, they're praying that Boaz would conduct himself and live in a way that was worthy of the blessings of God on his life. Hey, that's a good prayer right there, isn't it? Pray, God, keep me godly. And that's a good prayer to pray for other people too. Amen. God, help them to walk worthily. Help them to do right. Man, we need that. Even Jesus, in His, in his prayer that he, he modeled for us, Jesus told us to pray to God, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, I, I don't want temptation in my life. I don't want trials. Listen, I want, to live in, I want to live in a right way. I want to live in a godly manner. It was a prayer for godliness. It was a prayer for glory. It was a prayer for growth. It was a prayer for godliness. It was a prayer for glory. You see that? He said, and be famous. They're praying for Boaz. Let his name be famous in Bethlehem. But I want you to notice this, that the prayer for godliness was before the prayer for glory. God, help them to be right before he's well known. Some of the worst thing that could happen to people is for them to succeed before their character is all the way developed. That's, not, that's a dangerous place to be. God gives somebody a large platform. God gives somebody a lot of influence. God blesses somebody with a lot of money or something like that. Maybe they have all this kind of stuff before they have a good foundation. That's, a, that's, a, that's almost a, a recipe for failure. They prayed for godliness first, and then they prayed that his name would be famous in Israel. The prayer was for God to do something so great with Boaz that everyone would know about it. I, say, I would say God answered all these prayers. How many of y'all ever heard of Boaz? All right, his name is famous in Bethlehem. Uh, he, 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 was a, he was a just man. He continued to be a just man as far as we know. God grew their family and God expanded their family. All, God, God blessed them in all these ways. But there's an interesting, and I pointed this out months ago whenever I preached this, but this is what got real big in my heart. It's in verse 12. He said, And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah. Now that's an interesting prayer. That's when, a prayer, that's when the prayer gets a little interesting right there. Because if you know anything about this story, you know that it's a really, really, really awkward story. It's really weird. In fact, I'm almost hesitant to even tell you, but it's in the Bible though. Is that all right? Genesis 38. We're not going to go there tonight, but I want you to pencil that chapter in your notes or in the margin of your Bible right here. And I want you to go back and I want you to read about Pharez and I want you to read about Tamar and I want you to read about all these people. Because it's a very interesting story. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah is one of the sons of Jacob, right? Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah, uh, uh, Judah had several sons. One of them was named Ur, E-R. And Tamar was married to Ur. Now, I don't know what Ur did, and I don't know what was going on in his life, but the Bible just says that he was so wicked that God killed him. That's what it says. I don't know what he did, but he was so wicked, God just, God just killed him. And then, because of, of the, the leveret marriage, that's what, uh, that's what some call it, the, the law where the brother-in-law had to, had to uh, marry the widow and raise up a child for that Brothers, the dead brother's name. Onan was next on the list. Well, Onan didn't want to do that. So Onan was given to Tamar. Tamar was given Onan to wife, but Onan would not raise up a child. He would not give 
his seed to Tamar so that they could raise up a child in Ur's name. And so you know what God did? God killed him. And so Judah's thinking, listen, God killed one of my sons, Ur. God just killed another of my sons. How many of y'all know this? I'm not giving another one of my sons to this woman. Of course, the next son was Shayla, I think is how you pronounce his name. He was so young, he wasn't ready to be married yet anyway. So Judah sent Tamar off. Here's Tamar. She has no child. She has no seed. And in that day, of course, it was a shame. It was a, it was a, it was a reproach on her. She's in widow's garments. And to make it all worse, as she's sent away by Judah, Judah says, just go, I'll get a hold of you. When Shayla's old enough, I'll get a hold of you, and you can marry him. Well, you know what? Tamar hears through the grapevine that Shayla was engaged and married to somebody else. She got looked over once again. And I'm not saying this is right because it ain't right, but here's what Tamar did. When Judah come to town, she dressed herself like a harlot, and she seduced Judah and had a child, actually twins, by her father-in-law, Judah, and God gave her children in a very not-so-pleasant story. And, of course, we know what happens is when Judah, uh, uh, Judah didn't know who it was, she was covered up, or he didn't know that uh, that's who he was with. But old Tamar had what? A signet and a bracelet and a staff because Judah didn't have money to pay the harlot, so I said, you hold on to these things, and I'll send money back to you. This will be my pledge. This will be, a, this will be a, a, just kind of a collateral right here. You hold on to these things. Now a bracelet and a signet and a staff. You, you know what I'm But that's, those, were identify, those were things that would have his identification. It's like giving somebody your driver's license and your Social Security card and, and uh, you know, your birth certificate. That's what it would be like. You hold on to this until I give you money. It was something that had his identifying marks on it. Well, he goes, he sends money back to, to, uh, to town there to, to pay her off, and she's nowhere to be found. People say, there's no harlot here. We don't know what you're talking about. Well, three months goes by, and Judah gets word that his daughter-in-law, that's not wed to anybody, she's expecting a child. She is pregnant, obviously out of wedlock. What does Judah say? Let her be burnt. Let her die. And, of course, Tamar says... Let me tell you who the daddy is. And she pulls out the driver's license and the social security card and the birth certificate. Now this, man, this sounds like an episode of some kind of daytime television. You know what I'm talking about? This is in the Bible. This is in the family. Judah, what was Jesus was from the tribe of what? Okay, we're talking about, we're talking about things that uh, in the family of the Messiah, things that that are brought up here. And so when they're praying, these people, they're praying about Rachel and Leah. Man, I could definitely see that being a part of your prayer. But then when you start bringing Perez and you start bringing, Perez was one of the twins that was born. When you start bringing Perez and you start bringing Tamar into this, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, man, that's a weird prayer. Well, what do you want to pray about that for? But as I began to think about that story in Genesis 38, I thought about how that prayer... How many of y'all still with me? Say amen. I'm going somewhere. I thought about how prayer is actually a prayer of grace. Because the whole story, as awkward as it is, and, 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 and as weird as it is, and as uh, uh, just, uh, 
just kind of a little off-putting as it is, it actually, if you'll think about it with me just for a moment, it has grace written all over it. There is the grace of God that is all in this story, and it actually relates so well to Ruth's story. And I want to attach the story of Ruth to this awkward story in Genesis 38 just for a minute. I want you to think about some comparisons here because Ruth, she didn't grow up in Bethlehem. She didn't go to Sabbath school. She probably didn't know a lot about Rachel if anything. She didn't know a lot about Leah. She didn't know anything about Perez. She didn't know anything about Tamar. She didn't know anything about Judah. She was raised in Moab and just a pagan place. But what these people were doing is they were taking uh, instances and taking uh, circumstances in the past and they were bringing them into the present and, uh, and showing how the grace of God was real back then and the grace of God is still real and it is still relevant for their present situation and Ruth didn't know this God, Jehovah God very well. She was raised in Moab. She was raised around the pagan gods of Moab. But when they bring up these situations and they bring up these circumstances, what they were doing is they were telling her something about the God that she did not even know very well. I don't really have a title. I guess if I had a title, I would just use that out of verse number 12, the house of Pharaoh is, because that's what I want to talk about just for a second, just before we go home. I want to give you some things about the house of Pharaoh is and about some things about this story and what it reveals about God and what it tells us about God. When they were praying, when the community was praying for Ruth, I want to show you that they were praying, number one, they were praying to a God who, first of all, a God who releases mercy. A God who releases mercy. When the people of Bethlehem were praying for Ruth and Boaz and their new home, they were praying to a God and they were praying about a God that releases mercy. God, aren't you glad that God is a God of mercy? Everybody look up here. It's all right. God is a God of mercy. Uh, that just simply means that God withholds judgment from us. God does not give us what we deserve. Now, I want you to think about the story just for a second. And we don't have time to go to Genesis 38, but I want you to go back and read it this week if you get a, get a, get a chance. Here's what, here's what, here's what uh, was very interesting to me about, about the whole story of uh, Judah and, uh, and, uh, and Tamar and all this. When Judah found out that Tamar was with child, he didn't know that it was revealed and known. He didn't know he was going to be outed as the father, right? But he knew that this, this, uh, this, this daughter has shamed the family, brought shame to the family, brought disgrace to the family. And here's what he said. Here's his exact words in Genesis 38. He says, and let her be burnt. That's what he says. He doesn't say let her be stoned. He doesn't say let her be killed. He says, let her be burnt. Light a fire and burn her in the fire. Judah said, that is what she is worthy of. She is worthy of the fire. She was sentenced to the fire. And the only way that Tamar escaped the fire that she deserved, let me tell you what happened. Judah realized that he was culpable in this whole situation. Judah was the only one that condemned her. He was the one that had the authority to condemn her. But I want you to think about this with me just for a second. The only way that Tamar was able to escape the fire is when the one who condemned her took the blame. When the one who condemned her took the blame. 
The only one that brought her under condemnation was Judah, and he actually stood up and said, she has been more righteous than I. She has been better than I, and he took the blame on himself. Now, I know it's not a perfect illustration. I know it's not a perfect analogy, but when I thought about that, I got just a hint of the gospel in there. I just got a whiff of the gospel message in there because here's the truth. Like Tamar, we've all been sentenced to the fire. Isn't that right? Every one of us ought to burn in the fire. But you know the only way that we were able to escape is the one who condemned us. He also took the blame for us and he took the judgment on himself. And so now we are able to escape the fire because the only one who had the ability to condemn us stepped inside of our story and he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you see a little gospel right there in that story? The only one who could condemn her took the blame for her. And when he stepped in and took the blame on her behalf, Tamar was saved from the fire. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you something, I was reading a little bit in Romans 8 last night. I got to thinking about Romans 8 when it talks about if God be for us, then who can be against us? It says, and who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who condemneth? It is Christ that justifieth and even is risen to the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Can I tell you what? There is only one that can condemn us, and that is the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one. But listen, you ought to be thankful that the only one that can condemn you, the only one that can bring condemnation in your life, he stepped into your story and he took the blame. He said, I'll take the shame. I'll bear the reproach. I will take the judgment for all of this. And we were able to walk away free. Say, what is it? That's the mercy of God. That's the mercy of God. Man, Ruth's story is a, is a story of mercy. Isn't it? She was born in Moab. She was born in a wash pot. She was born a pagan. She ought to have died a pagan. And yet, guess what happened in her life? God had mercy on a little old pagan girl. And I just want to say thank God that He has had mercy on me. I deserve to be burned. I deserve to burn up in the fire of God's wrath. But thank God He took my place. Amen. There's a little gospel in that, ain't there? When they're praying about Tamar and Perez, man, they're praying about a God who releases mercy, a God who gives mercy. What a blessing that is. Well, let me give you a second one. Not only a God who releases mercy, but when they were praying about this whole thing about Tamar, they were praying about a God and praying to a God who redeems messes. He takes a nasty, messy, awkward, weird, we don't even want to talk about it kind of situation, and he can work it all out for our good and for his glory. Man, what a mess. Genesis 38, and it's amazing how that chapter 38, it's just kind of awkwardly, it's an awkward story, and it's just kind of awkwardly placed there in the book of Genesis because you got a chapter about Joseph, then another chapter about Joseph, and then weird story about Jesus. 
Judah and then chapter about Joseph and chapter about Joseph. And, chapter, and it's just kind of this weird mess in the family of God. In fact, honestly, we could have had the whole book of Genesis. We didn't need all that. We could, and right there in the middle, that little commercial break, you know, just let's have a commercial break in the story of Joseph to tell you this really weird story about Judah. But look at what God did with this mess. Man, that's the God we serve. He can take a mess and make a miracle out of it because he's a God that specializes in those things. Man, isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but man, every one of us could probably stand in this building and talk about what a mess we made of our life. And what a man, I mean, the bad thing that God redeemed and used for His glory, that doesn't excuse anything. That's not to, that's not to minimize sin, and that's not to uh, give license to sin. All it does is it exalts the grace of God and tells us that God is a gracious God, and He's able to... Listen, because the whole book of Ruth really is kind of a story of a mess, isn't it? Listen, a man named Elimelech didn't have enough faith to stick it out in Bethlehem, and so he went down to Moab. He shouldn't have went down to Moab. He shouldn't have went down there and messed up his family. No doubt about that. But look at what God did. God took his mess and God took his sin and God took his unbelief and God took his mistake and he wrote a miracle of grace in the life of somebody else's story. Ruth never would have been in the family of God. Ruth never would have been in the, married to the master of the field if Elimelech wouldn't have had no faith and left Bethlehem from Moab. Say, man, does that give me a license to do what? Listen, I'll just live how I want and you know God will just work it all out in the end. Absolutely not. That does not give us a... Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But what it does tell me is this, is that we serve a God that He's more powerful than my mistakes. He's, he can overcome my sin. I'm so thankful that the master artist, he's painting a beautiful picture and when I mess up and I when I mess up the whole thing, I'm glad he doesn't just rip the canvas down and throw it all away. Way, I'm glad the master artist can work it into the picture somehow. Hey Amen. He can redeem a big old mess. Man, we ought to thank God for that. And so whenever praying, Ruth, listen, she wasn't, she wasn't super familiar. She's just brand new. She's a new convert, if you'll allow me to use that language. She's new to this whole thing about Jehovah God. and All, all she knows is Naomi, wherever she goes, that's where I'm going to go. Where she lodges, that's where I'm going to lodge. Where she stays, that's where I'm going to stay. Her people, my people, her God, my God. I don't even know this God, but I'm going to trust in a, a, a Boaz said, in under whose wings thou art come to trust, talking about Ruth. I'm just going to trust this God, trusting a God that I don't even know very well. And when these people prayed this prayer, they were connecting Ruth back to a, a God that she didn't know, but she would come to find out that can take a mess and do great things with it. Genesis 38 would be like family stuff that I wouldn't even want to bring up. Like, I wouldn't put it in a prayer. Like this, okay, that's in the... How many of y'all got some family things that you just don't... Some chapters in your family's life. You don't want to bring that up. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like if, if you were to talk about it at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, like it would just make things really, really awkward around the table. How many of you thankful that there's some chapters in your life and in your family's life you can just kind of close up and seal up and just just leave it over there? We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to bring it up. Okay, if I was in God's family, or, well, I am in God's family, but you know what I mean? If I'm doing all this, uh, Genesis 38, that's one of them we're just going to tie up in a little bag 
and we're just going to set it right over here. And we don't talk about Tamar, and we don't talk about Perez and Zerah. We just don't talk about Judah. We don't, just, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. We're just going to leave it right over there and just let it up. But that ain't what they do, is it? Here's a prayer for this newlywed couple, and they take the old stinky bag, and they just rip it right open. Say, man, let her house be like the house of Perez. Tamar, born under Judah, and all this stuff. And it's like stuff. That's embarrassing things you don't want to talk about. But what it is, is it's a testimony to the grace of God and the power of God. Because Judah obviously is the progenitor of Christ. In fact, it comes through Perez. In fact, God is so not ashamed of all of it. God is so not embarrassed of all of it. You can't get three verses in your New Testament where it says... Tamar, she's right there. Matthew 1, 1, Matthew 1, 2, and then Matthew 1, 3. Boom, there she is. Like, okay, Old Testament, God, that's in the past. Let's, that's, it's been 400 years of silence, and the very first thing you want to say in the book of Matthew is something about Tamar. That's just how unembarrassed God is about all of it. He said, bring it up. Let it out. Let it in the light. I want people to know that there's a Rahab. And I want people to know there's a Tamar. And I want people to know there's a Judah. And I want people to know there's all kind of messes in my life. Because I am the God who can take a mess and work something beautiful out of it. Amen. God ain't embarrassed. Those things you're embarrassed about, God ain't embarrassed about it one bit. Amen. It makes him look good. And only God can take wicked, evil, awful, sinful things and work them out for his own glory. And when they were praying for Ruth, that's what they were praying about. Isn't that amazing? Fired me up. They were praying about a God who releases mercy. Praying about a God... who redeems messes. And then I'll give you this last one. I'm done. They're praying about the God who repeats miracles. He repeats miracles. Why in the world are we going to connect this awkward story to Ruth and Boaz? Well, because, and I think I might have mentioned this before, but let me mention it again. Because this story of Tamar is a story of a woman whose husband died. Tamar was a widow. Her husband, Ur, died. And then she was rejected and denied by the next, Onan. But then ultimately, God worked it all out and she's given children by the mercy of God. That is exactly Ruth's story, is it not? Ruth was a widow. Her first husband died. Then she is rejected. She is denied by the nearer kinsman. But ultimately, God gives her children. And ultimately, God gives her a seed. Ultimately, God blesses her and has mercy on her. And God gave her somebody that would give her a child. And what these people's prayer was doing is it was taking something that had happened in the past 
And it was connecting what God had done in the past. And it was connecting her present day situation to something that God had already performed in the past. Just simply put, let me tell you something about God. He is a God who repeats miracles. He is a God that if He done it back then, He can do it again. He is a God that if He has done it before, then He can do it some more. Amen. And whenever we pray, and God did this in the life of it. He would give miracles to these people, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And He would talk about how He's the God who parted the Red Sea and He's the God that provided man in the wilderness. And God would remind His people over and over and over again that He took care of them in the past. And if God took care of them in the past, then God surely is able to do it again. And can I tell you, every time we pray, we need to realize that we are praying to a God that can do it again. Again, we have a God that has a track record in every single situation. You got a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. Well, God's done it before. You got a financial need that you have trouble meeting. Well, God's done it before. Listen, now you got something that's dead and something that needs to be raised alive. Listen, God's done it before. He's opened blinded eyes and he's opened deaf ears and he's he's made lame legs walk and he's parted seas and he rained Krispy Kreme donuts down from heaven. Listen, ain't nothing God can't do. And when we pray, we need to know that we're talking to the God who did it in the past and He's still able to do it in the future and do it in our present. He's got a great track record in every single situation. You're not going to put God... You do not have any temptation that's taken you but such as is common to man. It has happened to somebody else. God has already come through. God has already given grace. God has already provided for somebody else that is in your same exact situation. And rest assured, child of God, if God did it before, He can work in your life as well. So it's kind of an awkward thing, isn't it? To bring up Perez and Tamar and all this kind of stuff. Why, why are we talking about all that? Well, because actually that whole story, as weird as it is, man, it's a story of mercy. And it's a story of God taking a mess and making something beautiful out of it. And it's a story of God doing something for a young lady that felt trapped and didn't know exactly all what to do and maybe didn't go about it the right way, but God blessed her in spite of it. And God had a young lady here at the present time that this prayer was being prayed named Ruth. And Ruth didn't know a lot about this God. She just knew to all this kind of stuff. But what Ruth didn't know is she was plugging into, she was getting connected into this thing of a God that can do abundantly, exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power at work it inside of us. Aren't you glad? Now listen, when you pray this week, I want you to know that's the kind of God you're praying to. That's the God we're praying to. That's the kind of God we ought to pray one for another to. Isn't that amazing about the Lord? Thank God for it. Let's stand together.